0: This is The Point, professional investing in Australia with Pendle. Welcome to The Point podcast from Pendle. It's been a very busy period for investors. The US economy and inflation, interest rates, a crisis in the Middle East. One of the major factors impacting investors, which has fallen off the front pages somewhat, is China. China. But of course, it remains a major player in the global economy. To help us catch up with what's happening in China, I welcome back Amy Sherpatrick, Head of Income Strategies at Pendle. Amy, welcome back to The Point. Good morning, Sean. So where is China up to? Where does it sit? Is there room for optimism? What do you think?
1: I think there is room for optimism for the Chinese economic story, whether you're thinking about it very near term or even in the medium term. But I think the optimism is slightly different in those kinds of timeframes. So let's start with the here and now, because really that's what matters for the markets today. Right now, you're seeing a basing in the Chinese economic data, whether you're looking at activity in the manufacturing sector, across the retail segment and the consumer, things are finding a bit of a bottom and starting to turn in a more positive direction. And this is usually good. Turning points in the Chinese economy is usually good for the rest of the world because it means that the manufacturing cycle globally is probably basing and starting to see a new upturn. It's probably good for the manufacturing exporters of the world, especially in emerging markets, um, and many of them are in the Asia region because they will be able to piggyback off of the back of that momentum as well. But what you're not seeing is any concerted revival in the property sector, and that's what's getting most people worried. But my view in the near term is that this basing in China, it probably doesn't have massive implications for major developed economies, but it has a bit of a supporting factor for quite a lot of the emerging market stories that we see out there
0: okay so you mentioned the property sector you've told us before but tell us again why is the Chinese property market so important and what's happening and I suppose where we want to go there is whether the actual property developer model at the moment is viable
1: so the property market in China feeds through to everything and some of this isn't new you know it, it the same here in australia as well you know property in terms of the the way it feeds through to how people think about consumer spending what they will spend on you're likely to spend on bigger ticket items once you've just bought a house you're probably going to spend a lot on you know getting it looking nice, renovations on the edges, et cetera. So all of that is understandable, and that's the same as most of the other economies that we know. But in China, the property market has always been a little bit special, right? So developers of Chinese residential buildings, they're usually high rises, depend a lot on the upfront pre-sale market to try and get a lot of their funding. Obviously, they borrow from banks. Sometimes they issue equity into the share markets. But a key source of their construction funding comes from buyers willing to buy off plan. And when these developers start new projects as well, they will spend great sums with local governments buying plots of land from them in order to develop. So what does that mean? It means that a lot of the liquidity that these developers need to carry on doing what they're doing depends on consumer confidence, household confidence in the property sector and in the developers' ability to deliver these homes. And the Developers' ability to continue to do this is very vital to local governments in order to sustain their finances so that they can continue to spend on local infrastructure and any other fiscal stimulus that they feel is necessary to carry out. So this property contraction that you've seen in China happening over the last year and accelerating in the second half of last year has really you know, crunched in everything it's really dented consumer confidence because as developers have started to go to the wall and you know just stopped constructing buildings that were half built, people haven't been able to receive delivery of the houses that they had paid decent upfront deposits on. And so that de- definitely dents consumer confidence. And then when they're not receiving their properties in completion, people start to think, oh, well, maybe I should just you know, cut my losses and sell my uncompleted property uh, to another secondary buyer. And then that starts to sort of another effect of prices no longer just always going up in the Chinese economy, but house prices may also fall. But for local governments as well, they're missing this key source of fiscal revenues or land revenues from mm. these developers, because these de- developers, not seeing the demand in the pipeline, certainly aren't then going to put massive down payments on large plots of lands for the local governments.
0: What's the prognosis, Amy, for the sector?
1: This is a really vital transition for the Chinese economy to go through. I view it as a painful moment that the economy always needed to go through before it could reach the next stage of its economic transition but i've heard a lot of arguments about how is china going to be you know the, the next japan the japanification that we saw after the asset bubble that Japan went through in the 80s and 90s, will China be a repeat of that story? I think it's a blessing for China that this is happening now rather than later, you know, letting a a few more rounds of the property bubble go on. Because right now for the Chinese economy, the difference with, you know, comparing to Japan a few decades ago is the bubble is only in one sector, and that has been in property. In Japan, the bubble was in a lot of other places as well. And more importantly, the amounts of leverage that the system has managed to get to for China is not the same as where, where it got to for Japan. And most importantly, I think the Chinese economy, at least one, one spot of hope for right now is the makeup of the economy is actually a little bit different to Japan. Japan, and a little bit like South Korea as well, there are huge power forces within large conglomerates. Um, Whereas in China, outside of the state-owned enterprise sector, private enterprises tend to be quite small and widely dispersed. And so there is a a lot more room for entrepreneurial spirit to thrive in China. But my concerns are that with the political system traveling in the direction that it has been traveling for China in the last few years, Will this entrepreneurial spirit be allowed to thrive? Will, will it be nurtured by the political system as it stands today? That is a big question mark for me.
0: You alluded to it, the power of the Chinese government in terms of stimulus and that type of thing, rather than the private sector. Has I mean, what is the government's role in all this? Why didn't the Chinese government engage in more stimulus in the last few years when the consumer really dropped off? What, what's going on with the government?
1: It's crazy, right? Because everywhere else in the Western world, you saw massive fiscal handouts, direct fiscal stimulus into the consumer's pockets. And yet in China, where they chose to pursue the most drastic of zero COVID measures was where you saw the least of (laughs) of that kind of fiscal stimulus happening. So yeah, it's, it's a really valid question. At the heart of it, again, I'll go back to the politics of it all. We have to remember that the, the Chinese political system is not a democratic system and its principles are very socialist at heart. Now a very classic characterization of the Chinese style of socialism is that they just don't believe in helicopter money. it, it goes against their socialist principles because they think that money directly in people's pockets isn't the way to common prosperity and com- common prosperity is definitely a, a thing that the political agenda is trying to pursue and instead you know everyone should should toil in order yeah. to, to to achieve that prosperity. So this idea of helicopter money has always been very against their socialist principles, but now we're reaching a point, I think, where the pain of the economic story, the, the drag from the property story is so severe that they kind of have to choose a lesser of two evils. So lately you've been hearing you know, that some of the government bodies have been proposing a larger fiscal deficit in 2024. Now the m- amounts being thrown about are not that large at all. But I think it's a signal that the government is on the cusp of considering more direct to consumer type of stimulus, at least just to keep the current positive momentum going for China.
0: Okay, so let's bring it back to investors. Listening to you, Amy, there are certainly green shoots uh, in the Chinese economy and some sectors of the Chinese economy still have property, clearly, to worry about. How do investors play china should they be investing directly should they be thinking about proxies alternatives
1: yeah proxies is a really good point sean because for a lot of the investors certainly that that we speak to china is starting to look a little less investable i wouldn't say completely uninvestable but certainly less investable and typically not for economic reasons either it's usually on the geopolitical side or maybe a little bit on the you know moral side and sometimes it's about the idea of security and being able to retain ownership of your mm. investments if you do invest in China. But putting all of that aside, you know, if China is successful in this story of the economic transition in the medium term, there is plenty of economic opportunity to tap into because that success means the ability to unlock the power of a billion consumers. And that is something that a lot of foreign companies will will want access to. But that's a medium-term story. For right now, this basing that you're seeing out of China, I do see the proxies as a good way to go about playing playing that basing. So would it be the manufacturing economies in Asia, for example? Korea is probably you know not a bad place to look. Uh, would it be also the likes of maybe the commodity exporters further afield? And Australia definitely would be a beneficiary to, to that story. But that's a very you know, next three to six months type of story. It's not a forever story because, again, I do not see a massive uh, property stimulus lifting China out of its current funk.
0: Amy, thank you for talking to The Point. Thank you, Sean. That was Amy Sherpatrick, Head of Income Strategies at Pendle. You've been listening to The Point Podcast from Pendle. I'm Sean A.